episode of the Dark Assassins podcast, the show that dives deep into not just technology, but the concepts, software, and procedures behind it all, and explains it so simply that even your grandma can understand it. As always, I'm your host, the Dark Assassin. So, in case you are unaware, there exists a breed, not of humans, but of animals, that are the most elite developers that you have ever seen or heard of. They absolutely destroy any human developer, even the best ones. Even Linus Travolta, the creator of Linux, makes him look like a peasant, right? There are There is a breed that is so good that it, it just surpasses anything that you or I can think of when we think of a great developer. And that, of course, I am talking about the rubber duck. Yes, you heard that correctly, the rubber duck. So if you're unfamiliar, there is a uh, concept in software development. Um, so in software development, we do this thing called debugging, right? So I, we mentioned in a, one of our earlier episodes of the Dark Assassins podcast, which you have, if you haven't listened to, I'd encourage you to go listen to after this, um, kind of about bugs. And, um, it's, and, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, it's not a bug, it's a feature, right? Um, so part of the uh, process to try to get rid of those bugs is called debugging. So the point of that is when your code isn't right working as intended, that is considered to be a bug. So the point of debugging is to get the bugs out so the code works as intended. Now, part of the problem with debugging is it's kind of like when you write an essay. When you write an essay, if you're like me, everything looks perfectly fine even though it's riddled with grammar mistakes, punctuation errors, and all kinds of problems. So the same thing goes when you write code. Now, sometimes those things will jump out to you right away. Like, say you write a program, hit run, and you get an error talking about like an index out of bounds error. And you're like, oh yeah, there it is in my for loop. I, you know, put less than or equal to rather than less than or, you know, whatever the case may be. And you can find those pretty pretty easily. But then there's some other ones that it's not working as intended. And the reason is because your logic is flawed. It's not that like, you know, you forgot you did less than or equal to rather than equal to or something, you know, simple like that. Or you, you know, forgot a semicolon here or something. Um, it's there's an actual flaw in your logic and you actually have to go through and figure out um, what in my logic here, which one of these steps that I'm telling the program to do is causing this error to occur. And that's where the whole debugging process comes into effect. Um, and there's a couple ways people um, de- debug their programs. Um, one of the more common ones is uh, using an actual debugger, um, which you can do. There's uh, GDB is one of them. Some IDEs like Visual Studio have their own debugger built into them. Um, but the, the point of the debugger is you can put in what's called breakpoints into your code. So you can at each you can put in a breakpoint at say line, I don't know, fifty, and it'll stop the code's execution once it hits line fifty, and you can view into the code to see, you know, what your variables are, um, what states are currently set and that kind of thing to kind of help you figure out 
um, where your problem might be coming or maybe why is this variable not being set to what I think it should be set or, you know, whatever the case may be. Or you could go with the option that I like to do because I don't, I, I've never really put in the time and effort to use a debugger. Uh, so I just do the old print statements, which is technically not the best practice because while they can be helpful printing out, um, you know, current statuses of things, and it's a lot easier, at least up front, than using a debugger, um, you have to remember to remove all those print statements, which I can't tell you how many times I've, you know, written a piece of code and I'll run it and, you know, all my, I debug the program, it's working great, and then, you know, I'll be done with it, and then I'll come back to it a while later, and I'll hit one of those edge cases where I forgot to remove the print statement, I get this pr random printout about, like, you know, value of size is equal to 53, and I'm like, why the heck is that printing? Oh, yeah, I forgot to remove the print statement. Um, so that's that's one of the, the benefits of the debugger has over, you know, just putting a bunch of prints in there. But the another um, way that you can do debugging is what's called rubber duck debugging, which, yes, this is a real thing. I have a link in the show notes below that you can go check it out. Um, so there's I'm going to read the steps through uh, the methods of rubber duck debugging. So step number one, according to rubberduckdebugging.com, is step number one is beg, borrow, steal, buy, fabricate, or otherwise obtain a rubber duck. Bathtub variety. This is key. You have to make sure it's of the bathtub variety. If it's not, they're not the elite uh, rubber ducks that are the master coders. Uh, step two is to place the rubber duck on desk and inform it that you're just going over some code with it if, and if that's all right. Because obviously you don't want to inconvenience the duck because the duck is a very busy, busy duck and is, you know, in charge of, you know, tons of code and is a master developer and you don't want to necessarily inconvenience it or bore it with your um, failures as a developer. Um, so you want to make sure that it is okay uh, to, um, you know, debug with it. Because remember, you have to get consent. You need the answer yes, which ironically, the, the rubber duck won't actually respond to you. Um, but it's a, more of a convenience thing of asking it. Um, so step number three is to explain to the duck what your code is supposed to do, then go into detail explaining your code line by line. So the point of this is you're like, yeah, so my code is supposed to... Um, say iterate over this array and find the largest value right and then as you're going through your code you're like all right so this is the for loop i'm going from zero to the size of the array um, and then in this i'm checking to see if the first if the current element is greater than the previous element set that as x or set that as you know the the current max value um, and then, you know, you go on and on and on. But for, for example, say you're going through this line by line and you get to the point where you're like, yeah, so I'm trying to find the max value and I check to see if the current value is less than the, the previous value. Oh, wait, and then set that equal to the max. And then you realize, oh, wait a second, that's, that's not it. And then that's, that's wrong. And then you can fix it. Um, so then step four, and which goes right into step four, which is at some point you will tell the duck what you're doing, 
next and realize that it's not in fact what you are actually doing. The duck will sit there sincerely, happily in the knowledge that it helped you on your way. So, like like I said, you, you'll as you go through your code line by line, you'll figure out what you did wrong, and the rubber duck was just they're happy to help. So it also says, as a note, in a pinch, a coworker might be able to substitute for the duck. However, it's often preferred to confine mistakes to the duck instead of your coworker, right? Because you obviously don't want your coworker to know that you're an idiot and can't understand how to write your programs. So it's better to confine in the duck rather than a coworker. Now, obviously, if you can't tell already, there's a little bit of sarcasm in my voice um, because if you ha- obviously if you have an error in your program, you're not an idiot because it happens to all of us. Um, so don't be discouraged by that. Um, but but going through this, you might have some questions. Um, so some of the frequently asked questions that they have listed on the site here is: If the ducks are so smart, why don't we just let them do all the work? Which is an Excellent question. Obviously, these ducks are of a special breed. They are like the top cream of the crop, better than any one of us developers could ever dream of being. And the answer to that is it would be wonderful if this were true, but the fact is most ducks prefer to take a mentoring role. There are few ducks, however, that choose to code, but these are the ducks that nobody hears about because they are selected for secret government projects that are highly classified in nature. So, obviously, the reason why you don't hear necessarily about these mainstream, you know, breed of ducks that are, you know, writing incredible code is because they're they're reserved for the super top secret, um, you know, realms of the government like you could think, you know, this is like your Area 51 stuff, you know, your aliens, your super classified projects. These are where those master elite developer ducks lie because this is where they're needed most. Um, and because these ducks don't talk, I mean, they're the perfect developers to work on, you know, classified government projects, right? Because one thing, if you work, it doesn't matter if you're working for an organization that you're trying to make sure that your 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 software or your intellectual property doesn't get leaked. Uh, the only way to ensure that is making sure that nobody talks, right? And what better way... To ensure that it doesn't get leaked it, by having a duck do your coding for you because the duck can't verbalize in English or you know Italian or Spanish or French or whatever language that you know they're a part of uh, it can't articulate it in that language it can only quack so therefore it can't leak any of the highly classified information even if it wanted to so this is a, this is a key of why these ducks are reserved for these highly classified projects. Now, and this is another reason why you never hear about them, you know, in other other uh, companies or organizations, because when the government finds one of these ducks, they snatch them right up so you can't, you know, actually, uh, you know, hire them on onto your dev team. Um, plus, if you did hire them onto your dev team, uh, your company would realize that there's so much 
better than you that they would fire all the developers and just have this duck as their sole developer um, because obviously labor laws don't apply to the ducks so they can basically you know charge them nothing and they would save hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars uh, on developer costs and you'd be out of a job so maybe it's for the best that these ducks are reserved for the most highly classified projects now you might be wondering, um, maybe, obviously, I can't get one of these, you know, super supreme developer ducks that actually write the code, but where can I get one of these ducks that can mentor me and that I can, you know, do this rubber duck debugging with? Um, which is a great question. Um, Amazon is a great place where you can find uh, find ducks. It has a wide selection of very affordable ducks that have been uh, graduated with a technical degree in some form of the world's leading universities. Um, which you know that that's what you want. That's what you want in a duck. You want someone that's qualified that can you know help you in your coding journey. Um, and yeah, so. Now, now this here comes the part where you might be asking. So obviously, we have no hope of being anywhere as capable as these rubber ducks, right? We have no shot. Even the the brightest, best developers out there, um, even like you know the senior developers of the Googles of the world, the Apples of the world. Facebooks of the world, you know, even those cream, what are, I guess, considered the cream of the crop developers can't even come close to the caliber of these rubber ducks. But how can you be close to them? Like, how, what is your best strategy to be able to maybe even compete or get close to the same league as one of these ducks? Um, and that really comes down to, obviously, first, you got to learn how to program, Right. So if you don't know how to program while well, you're at square zero, uh, which isn't a bad place to be, um, the first thing you got to do is learn Hello World. Uh, so if you're not familiar with Hello World, it's uh, the most basic form of a program that you can write for a given language. Most, most languages, it's just literally printing Hello World to the console or to the screen. Um, so if you're writing just like a like a console application that you would run from like the terminal or something, this would literally just be printing hello world to the terminal. Uh, if you're doing a graphics application, it would just be writing hello world to a you know a graphics window. Uh, if you're making a website, it would just be creating a blank blank web page with hello world on it. Um, so there's a bunch of different variations of the hello world program, uh, but that's the most basic version. So you have to get that down. And then once you get that down, then it comes to how can you improve your programming skills and how can you become a better developer? Now, some people might say, oh, well, just go to college and get a degree. I mean, you can do that, but if you don't want to spend, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, the best ways, and, and, and for what it's worth, while getting a degree is you know, cool and all, if you just have a degree, uh, not to burst your bubble or anything, but organizations, uh, they, they'll be like, cool, you have a degree, but 
you know, we want more than that, right? So what companies and organizations are looking for is that you, you know, you live and breathe programming, right? That you program on the side, you write your, you come up with your own projects and you, you know, make your own stuff like aside from the school, um, which is one, one thing that I've noticed um, and I've been, you know, mentioned, mentioned to me um, from recruiters and people trying to hire is one thing that that made me stand out was the fact that I, you know, did have personal projects and did my own coding on my on my own and didn't just, you know, all the projects I had listed as my accomplishments were literally just school projects because, you know, employers can see that. And if they see that all you have is, you know, projects from school, it's like, yeah, that's cool that you managed to do this thing. But so did, you know, depending on how big the school is, so did hundreds of other people did the exact same project because they were forced to, right? It wasn't something that you were driven to do and you went out out of your way in order to make this thing a reality. Um, so the f- big thing that you want to do to get better at programming is program. And the way to do that is to come up with projects for yourself. Now, when you're first starting out, obviously, you know, if you're new to programming, you obviously don't want to be like, you know, I want to make my own operating system. I'm going to do that because you're going to hate yourself and you're going to quit immediately because it's way too hard and complex. Um, so you have to start. You have, you have to know what your limits are and then slowly, you know, challenge yourself and build upon your your skills and your knowledge and then slowly work up to the the level of where you can, you know, while you won't be in the same league as the rubber duck. You can at least, you know, maybe be mentioned, be like, yeah, so this guy's pretty good. Um, obviously not the rubber duck, but you might you might get like the, an after mention or, you know, like a footnote um, when compared to the rubber duck, maybe. But so when it comes to starting out small, one of the, the best things you can do is, uh, you know, find projects that already exist, right? Because if you've never, you know, written any kind of software, written any kind of programs before, coming up with your own projects could prove challenging, right? Like if if you've never written anything before, if you don't necessarily have a ton of experience uh, with different types of programs or with different problems in the world, uh, it might be hard to come up with your own ideas on pro- on problems to solve, right? But which actually, if you do come up with an idea for a problem to solve, that is a great excuse to make it a coding project and make a solution for that. Because even if, you know, it never actually goes anywhere and you're the only one that uses that solution, uh, you could at least, you know, you at least have something to show for it and you built upon your knowledge of coding and programming. Um, and you could even, you know, push that onto like your GitHub or something uh, attach your GitHub link to your resume, and then employers can see that you know you made this great solution for something. Um, for me, I this is how a lot of my ideas for personal projects uh, originate from. Um, one of the personal projects that I made, one of the first uh, major personal projects I made was what I called the uh, the Snapchat database. Um, I made which I first made just as a Java desktop application, and then I later. Uh, revised it and updated it and made it into an iOS application so you could actually have it on your on the go with you rather than you know it being tethered to your computer because if you're away from your computer it's you know kind of pointless because uh, the point of you know Snapchat it's a mobile mobile app right so if you're 
the idea is that you're, you know, away from the computer. So if you're, you know, out, you know, you know, shopping or you're out, you know, on a, on a trip or something, going hiking or, you know, wherever you are, uh, you're not necessarily going to have your computer with you. So it it's kind of hard to, you know, use it as a desktop app when you can't, you don't necessarily always have access to the desktop, which is why it, uh, I did it and created an iOS version of the app, which uh, was actually one, one another reason why I wanted to do that project was to get me more exposure to Swift and Swift UI um, and developing iOS apps, because that's one area of software development that I personally want to improve on, because I, I think it'd be cool. I think it's cool writing iOS apps, but the thing is, I never really have a, a good project for something, you know, to actually make an app for. Uh, so this was a great, great excuse uh, to make a personal project to, you know, better my understanding of, you know, the Swift language and and all that. Um, but you don't even have. But that's and then another project I guess that I made was what I call the um, Server Connect, which is basically a Python script that allows, which manages all of your SSH connections. Which, if you're unfamiliar with SSH, it's like a secure shell um, that allows you to remotely uh, connect to you know servers and other devices, uh, and both it's end-to-end encrypted, so you. You don't have to worry about, you know, anyone viewing into what you're doing or any of the commands that you're typing in, uh, which is basically the successor to Telnet, which was kind of another way that you can remotely access and manage systems, except that's not encrypted, which is definitely not good because if you have someone, a man in the middle, like sniffing your traffic, they can see all the commands you're writing. If you're entering passwords or anything like that, they can get those. Um, so definitely if you if you have any systems that use Telnet, don't use them, disable them because that, that's not good. Um, but the reason why I created this, uh, the server connect to be able to connect to SSH, uh, better is because I always found that trying to manage an, a config file for SSH was kind of always a pain to me. Um, it's, it's not that it's hard. It's just, you know, having to manually go in there and add new things or have to manually go in there and update, update, you know, servers. If you, if the IP address changes, for example, or if you want to use a different user or something like that. So the reason why I created this application was to kind of streamline that process. So you could actually manage all of your connections from just one command line tool. Um, and then over time, I've built upon that and added other features um, in there to, you know, do things like, you know, add additional flags or uh, view individual connections or, you know, SCP files, which if you're not familiar with what SCP is, it's a way to use the SSH uh, protocol to securely copy files from one system to another. Um, so the reason why I added that was because I was kind of annoyed of, you know, having to manually type out all the addresses of, you know, the servers when I wanted to SCP something, which I know first world problems, right? But uh, I figured, how can I make this better? How can I integrate this into my into my program here? And that's exactly what I did. Um, and, and that's, and really, that's how every new feature that I've made on that application has originated from. I'll be doing something like in regards to server management like that. And I'll be like, man, I really wish I can make this easier on myself. 
oh wait, I know, I'll just add it as a new feature to my program. Genius. Um, so things like that, um, that you can, can really, can really help you, um, figure out potential project ideas is kind of, you know, working with something, figure out an issue, uh, that you want to want to have solved and then going out and writing a program that solves that issue. Um, and I've written, you know, several that, you know, found a problem and then you know created a solution for it but the server connect program is honestly out of all of the programs that i've written to solve a problem that's the only one that i actually use on a regular basis because of how useful it was to me um so maybe you'll find a program like that uh but but to get started uh you don't because coming up if you've never programmed before or if you have no idea where to start the best thing to do is look for, you know, programs or projects that already exist and make your own version of it. Uh, so a good example of this is like uh, Pong is a basically kind of like the de facto like game Hello World project, if you will. Um, so if you're going to try to do any kind of like game development in a language, uh, kind of the, I guess you could consider Pong as kind of the Hello World equivalent, more or less, uh, mainly because it's kind of like one of the most basic games that you can make. Um, and if you're unfamiliar with Pong, I'm not talking about the, uh, the, 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 the version with the, the cups and the liquids. Uh, which may or may not be of the alcoholic variety. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the OG, the old school Pong with the, the controller that has the paddles that move up and down and the ball that bounces around the screen. Um, so that is like kind of the most basic, you know, version of a video game. And that's kind of like considered the, the hello world, I guess, if you will. So if you're interested in kind of doing any kind of video game development, that's generally where you want to start. Um, and then if you're uh, if you're doing some kind of graphics development, um, a, a decent starting point would be create your own calculator. Obviously, there's tons of calculator applications that exist, so why make your own? Um, but part of the reason why you would make your own is because it's you know I mean calculators they're they're pretty easy you know they just add subtract multiply divide and then if you want to get even fancier you could add other features in there like uh, taking you know like trigonomic functions and doing like percents and fractions and uh you know all that kind of stuff to make the formatting all fancy um but i mean that's just one way that you could knock yourself out and you know add a bunch of extra features uh but it's you know it's a great way to kind of get into basic graphics programming because it's i mean what is a calculator right it's just you know a field where you can enter in numbers and displays numbers and a bunch of buttons that you can you know input to you know control what that field says so uh, and then you know the obviously the math capabilities behind it um, so it's a pretty pretty basic application um, and then other things you could do is kind of like you know I guess you could think of like thought experiments or thought problems like co code something to do like the Fibonacci sequence or you know, there's a, a. I saw a video talking about the the fizzbuzz problem, which if you're not familiar with what that is, that's like, um, if it, the number is divisible by three, you say fizz. If it's divisible by five, you say buzz. And if it's divisible by three and five, you say fizzbuzz. Um, so coming up with like a solution for that, or you know, pretty much anything that you can think of, um, 
this is a great way to just kind of get your get your feet wet um, into programming. Um, and and even even still, like even if you've been programming for for years and you have you know good amount of experience. Um, Programs like this that are like really basic are great ways uh, to to start a new language, right? So, like, say you've already written a couple calculator applications, right? You wrote one in in Java, you wrote one in Python, uh, you've written one in C. But say you want to learn a new language, say you want to learn you want to learn Rust or you want to learn JavaScript or you want to learn Swift, uh, you could write a program. Like you could just write another calculator, right? Or, you know, write another one of these other programs that you've already written before. Um, and that can be a great way to, uh, you know, get exposed to a new language. Uh, because when it comes down to it, once you know how to program in one language, you essentially know how to program in every single language. Obviously, it's it's different because there's, you know, syntax differences like, you know, for example, Python doesn't use semicolons like, you know, C++ and Java do. Um, for string comparison in JavaScript, you use a triple equals rather than like a dot equals like you would in, say, Java. Um, so, I mean, there's obviously differences in between the languages, just like there's there's differences when you're talking, you know, in different languages, right? Like if you're going to say hello in English, it's hello. But if you say, but hello doesn't really mean anything in Spanish, it's hola, right? So there's obviously differences in like the syntax and how the words are, you know, said. But at the end of the day, um, what, what really matters is your meaning behind stuff, right? So when you're trying to learn a new language, you're trying to figure out how to say what you want to say in that different language. And that's really all the syntax of the language is. If you know vocabulary in one language, it's more or less trivial to be able to translate that into another language. Obviously, memorizing that is, you know, difficult. Uh, but as far as, I mean, you could, anyone can go on like, you know, Google Translate or whatever and enter in their, uh, sentence in their language of choice and get a spit out of whatever other language they want it to be in. Obviously, it's not always perfect, but it's at least a good enough translation where, you know, you could get by if needed. Obviously, I don't, as far as I know, I don't really believe there's anything like that code-wise. Like, you can't, you know, input, um, say, a for loop or a function into some code translator and it'll spit out, you know, that it, that exact version of code um, in a different language. And obviously, if you did, it wouldn't. If that, if a program like that did exist, it obviously wouldn't be perfect. Um, just like you know, Google Translate isn't perfect, but it at least give you a rough idea and a rough starting point of you know something you could go off of. But I mean, at that point, like, I mean, you kind of defeat the purpose of trying to learn a new language at that point if you're just going to throw it in a translator, never actually bother to try to learn it. Uh, but if the crux of programming is really understanding the logic of it and understanding how the code works and how, you know, you step through the problem, which kind of going back to the rubber duck debugging, you know, this is where you explain what your program is trying to do and then going through line by line and then figuring and, you know, going through line by line and saying what it actually does. Um, and 
I, I guess another thing that you could do if you really wanted to improve your programming skills with a rubber duck uh, is you could explain is you could try to teach it things right obviously the rubber duck knows everything and it, I mean it doesn't need your input because it's it's better than you are but I mean any good mentor would be more than happy to listen to you explain something back to them to make sure that you understand something and one way that I found and what a lot of people find uh, to really master a subject or master a field, is being able to teach it to someone or being able to explain it. Because just because you can do something doesn't necessarily mean you fully understand it. But if you actually have to teach it to someone, you really have to understand what you're doing and what you're talking about. Otherwise, your explanation is going to just kind of fall flat. So uh, one thing that you could do, if you even if you didn't want to do rubber duck debugging and you just wanted to try to improve your programming skills is write a piece of code and then explain to the rubber duck anyway how it works, even if it already works and you know how it works, and then go into detail about why it works and why you did what you did in order to better your own understanding of you know how to code and how to program. Because uh, like I've kind of been mentioning here, uh, if you know that, that your code you need to iterate you know, over array, um, if you're new to programming and you've never done it before, you might be thinking, well, how do I iterate over an array? I don't know how to do that. Uh, but once you're experienced with programming, you know, oh, yeah, I need to iterate over an array. Okay, I just need to do some kind of loop, whether that's a for loop or a while loop or a, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, you know that's what you have to do, and all you have to do is figure out how to do that for the given language you're working in. Um, so it makes it picking up a new language, you know, that much easier, um, which is kind of going back to the point I made where if you know how to program in one language, you basically know how to program in any other language. It's just a matter of, you know, learning the vocabulary and learning the syntax and that kind of thing. Um, so I guess the, the, the thing I want to kind of drive home here, um, if you're not going to hire your own uh, your own rubber duck to be your your co-pilot, if you will. Um, which actually, there's another concept in the uh, developer world called pair programming or peer programming, where you basically have two people sit down um, at a computer and one person writes the code and the other person kind of you know helps try to catch bugs and that kind of thing. It's basically like rubber duck debugging, except the your uh, your pair or your peer actually gives input to you and you're not just talking into the void essentially because you're talking to a duck that won't respond to you um but you know that's kind of you could basically do pair programming with the rubber duck um and one nice thing about pair programming is you know basically kind of what's nice about rubber duck debugging is you have someone that you can kind of like throw ideas off of and bounce ideas off of because going back to as we mentioned earlier in this episode going back to the essay example uh one thing that can really help you in your essays which i i've learned um which pro tip if you don't know this if you read the essay aloud um, you'll, you're more likely to catch mistakes and errors because you can't like kind of autocomplete stuff in your mind and read into stuff that actually isn't there. Um, and another thing that you could do that I really enjoy doing is if you write, write some code and it doesn't work, 
Um, one of the, and another good thing you can do is just kind of get up and walk away from it. Go for a walk. Go for you know stretch your legs. Go grab some water. Grab a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of tea. You know whatever you want to do. Just get away from the code for a while. Just like if you're writing an essay, you don't want to proofread your essay right after you wrote the essay because it's all still fresh in your mind so you have that autocomplete stuff going on in your head about you know autocompleting sentences and filling in errors or uh you know gaps or whatever or issues in your essay and the same thing goes with programming too um it you're you're if you come back to the code with fresh eyes as it were um, where you haven't looked at it in a while and it's you know not you know fresh in your mind of what you've been trying to do uh, you can, you're more likely and have a better chance of trying to catch something that's, you know, out of place or, you know, not right. Um, so if what, one thing that I've found is like, you know, like I said, uh, you go for a walk. Um, and the other good thing about that, at least for me personally, I can't speak for everyone, but one thing that I found is if I go, if I'm stuck on a problem, for instance, or I'm trying to debug something and it's not working, when I go out for, you know, go for a quick walk, you know, as I'm walking, I'm kind of thinking about the problem and it can, you know, just the act of, you know, getting up and moving around, you know, getting the, getting the brain juices flowing, as they said, as they say, you know, it kind of gives you ideas. And, you know, as I'm walking, you know, I'll think like, oh yeah, there's something I could try. Or maybe, oh yeah, maybe I could try this instead. Or maybe I could look up this, see how this works. Um, and you, you get a bunch of different ideas about, you know, different things you could do. And another thing that I've also found on walks is, you know, coming up with, you know, potentially new, like, ideas or new features to add if I'm trying to work on a project. Um, so that that's another, another great thing. Now, obviously, maybe it's not walks for you. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's, you know, reading a book or, you know, playing video games or, you know, whatever your activity is to kind of get your mind off the code so you can come back to it um, with, you know, a fresh perspective and that kind of thing is definitely another great way uh, to help you uh, in this process. And then another thing that would I think would be very beneficial is to, especially if you're a, a young developer or a new developer, and even for seasoned developers too, is comment your code. Comment it as you write it. Because if you're like me, even if you're in the moment when you're writing this code, everything makes sense and it's super simple and understandable, you come back to that code in six months, good luck remembering what you're trying to do. Especially if it's like a complex you know, algorithm or something that you wrote, have fun trying to remember that. Um, and the other nice thing about, you know, writing the comments in there and writing, you know, more or less descriptive comments of what your code's doing is it makes you actually think and understand what you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing. So, for instance, if, you, if you're if you a uh, normal developer and you co copy and paste a bunch of stuff from Stack Overflow and everything magically works... Yeah, it works, but do you understand why it works? Do you know how it works? Or did you just find a potential solution, copy-paste it, it works, and now you're happy now? Um, now, if you're just trying to write, you know, just a basic, you know, program and get a, get your, get the solution, obviously that's really all you need to do. As long as the code works, don't ask questions, don't touch it, it's good. Uh, but if you want to, you know, take that next step, and become a better developer, 
um, you know, rise through the ranks and become senior developers and maybe even have a chance of having your name in the same category as one of these elite rubber ducks, uh, you really have to understand what you're not only you, you, you need to understand what you're doing, why you're doing what you're doing, and understand how the code works. And one great way to understand how the code works is writing comments in the code. So anybody can come up to, can look at this code and understand what it's doing and why it's doing what it's doing, um, which comments are great for. And personally, I think as, as long as you got comments in your code, that's like, pretty decent documentation and if you have comments in your code that's already more documentation than most developers will make um, so commenting your code is definitely another great option another great way to improve your programming and your software development skills um, and if you put all of these things together right you come up with personal projects you make projects that already exist and put your own spin on them you you know, work with your, your mentor, your rubber duck mentor, and do rubber duck debugging or peer, peer programming or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, you, ex you go, when you run into problems, you know, you step away from it, come back with, with fresh thoughts, you comment your code and really understand what you're doing, then and only then may you possibly be in the same breath as uh, the mentioning of these elite developers known as the rubber ducks. Now, obviously, as we mentioned in the beginning, you'll never be as elite as these special breed of developers of the rubber ducks, but maybe, just maybe, you might be able to get mentioned in passing as, oh yeah, and this guy's pretty good too. Um, so that, that obviously is the hope and the dream of all of us software developers, that maybe we can become a footnote uh, when compared to the elites that are the rubber ducks. So if you enjoyed this episode, I ask that you leave a rating and review and subscribe to the Dark Assassins podcast if you haven't done so already. Also be sure to share with a friend or family member who you think might enjoy hearing about these elite developers. Um, and if you have any questions about this show uh, or any future you want uh, me to answer something, a question that you have, uh, feel free to contact me at darkassassinsinc.com. You can also leave your question in a rating and review. Um, you can also click the link in the show notes below to uh, the email address right there so you don't have to worry about typing it out. Um, and that's going to do it for me in this episode of the Dark Assassins Podcast. Until next time, my fellow assassins, remember, bull nothing equals true. If action not equal to null, return true. I'll see you next time on the Dark Assassins Podcast.